welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. My name is Nicole Bennett and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode, I bring you conversations with city shapers and thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We're one of the host cities for the Summer Olympics and Paralympics in 2032. The next 10 years is being described as a golden decade for our city and for our region. The conversations on this podcast will help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead of us. So please take a minute from your busy hustle and bustle kind of day and let's have a great conversation. Welcome to episode six of the Hustle and Bustle podcast. Thank you to everyone who has listened to the first five episodes. I've had some great feedback and it's really helping me to improve these episodes each week. Also, a big shout out to YP Gold Coast for sharing the podcast with your followers. You have no idea how much your support means to me. So this week on the podcast, I am lucky enough to have someone who inspires me. She's going to be embarrassed, but I've got to, I, I just want to say a few words about her. Um, as she's such an accomplished planner with over 25 years experience in government and consultancy, I think most notably she's known for leading the state government team who prepared the first North Queensland regional plan and also the team who prepared the latest Southeast Queensland regional plan called Shaping SEQ. I can only imagine how difficult it was bringing together a huge group of stakeholders, working out a way forward for such a diverse and rapidly growing region. I would describe her as someone who is resilient, forward-thinking and determined, a steady hand during challenging projects and someone who truly leads the way. I'm referring to Kerry Reith-Muller. Hi, Kerry. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Um, I have to say, um, that's it. Yes, you're right. It's it. Um, em- embarrassing uh, introduction, but um, you weren't wrong about, uh, you know, it being a, a challenging project with this, you know, shaping SEQ and um, like all these sorts of big projects always are. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the first opportunities I really had to get to know you was when we were establishing the Queensland uh, Women in Planning Network through the Planning Institute of Australia. And in some of those first meetings where we were setting our objectives and our focus areas, I remember you and many others in the room as well, just expressing some of the challenges that women, particularly in some of the senior positions in our workplaces, experienced. And I think that really cemented for me how incredible some of the achievements that you and others um, have achieved, you know, leading some of the most important planning policies in our nation, plus, you know, finding the time to volunteer to give back to your profession, helping other women achieve their goals too, and all the while running a household and everything that comes with that. I was like, wow. So <laughs> thank you for that. And, and I'm so glad we could connect today. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've been really enjoying listening to your, your previous guests and, um, yeah, it's great the diversity of, um, you know, topics you're covering and, and guests you're having on. So yeah, um, awesome. Well, I thought today um, we could chat about some of your experiences planning at that regional level, um, because I think we generally understand planning at kind of a state level and then, you know, at a local sort of city level. But it's that intermediate regional scale that I think might be a bit harder for many people to understand, including myself. But I, I understand it's so important, you know, it People want to be able to move around their regions really easily. They want to be able to ensure that they get jobs, you know, fairly close to home and that the regions remain, you know, competitive globally. Um, and we need to make sure cities within regions can work together to build on their strengths um, and also build their weaknesses. So 
you know, I'm, I'm interested in just sort of, yeah, unpacking that a bit and, and really kind of, yeah, getting some thoughts from you as someone who's really experienced in this space. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, an interesting area of planning, regional planning. And, and like a lot of these sorts of, um, you know, projects, a region is also an arbitrary boundary. You know, shape, you know, SEQ has 12 local government areas in it and, but it could easily have, you know, 13 or 11, you know, you could give or take because some councils feel that they could belong in, in both, you know, SEQ as well as Darling Downs. And it's, um, you know, it's once again one of those sorts of um, decisions you have to make as to where do you you put you know um, you know different council areas in terms of where do they feel they've got that affinity from an economic and and cultural and, and geographical perspective, but also um, you know recognising those sorts of things can change over time as well. So um, you know we do have. Um, you know, a well-established regional planning program in Queensland, which is fantastic. It's, you know, always been something that the government has been a leader in um, and continues to be. So, um, but yeah, it, it is, um, you know, particularly without uh, an overall, um, you know, state settlement strategy, which is something um, sitting on the division committee of um, the Planning Institute that we've been advocating for to be able to set some kind of overall you know, plan for Queensland when it comes yeah. to settlement that those regions then, you know, make up the jigsaw puzzle pieces for, for the rest of the state. So, um, you know, it is, um, you know, one of those top down and, and bottom up sorts of positions to be in when you play in the regional planning space. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and I think, I guess just in terms of starting as to why we have regional planning, you know, from my sort of understanding, at least there's, sort of some key population projections, especially for southeast Queensland. And as you say, it's about spatially arranging kind of both dwellings but also jobs. Sort of can you explain some of those projections, especially for southeast Queensland, just so people can kind of get a bit of an understanding about maybe where they come from and and sort of, you know, what they are? Yeah, sure. And and you know, I'm I'm not an expert in this by um any means and, and thankfully we do have people who are. Um, you know, as you know, most people know, they diligently, you know, fill out their census form or at least planners do anyway, um, <laughs> fill out their census form when it comes around and that, you know, from that, um, you know, Australian Bureau of Statistics issues a, a series of, you know, population information. It's, you know, it, it can be broken up into some very interesting topics around, um, you know, age and gender, um, household size, um, you know, travel to work, you know, a whole range of things. But from a planning point of view, you know, we do use some of those things more than others. Um, obviously, it's the starting point for a lot of the population work that the states do. Within Queensland, we have a group called the Queensland Government Statisticians Office, um, QGSO, which is well known for their population projection series. And as planners, when you're doing, you know, forward planning, it's really where you go to for your, for your base data. So, you know, when we did Shaping SEQ, we had um, about 3.5 million people living in Queensland at the time, um, you know, with projection at a medium series um, based, you know, looking at you know, that growing to about 5.3 over the next 25 years. So uh, when we were doing re the regional plan and, you know, happens every time you look at a strategic planning project that's into the future, you start making some decisions about which of the series, you know, growth series do you use? Is it the low, the medium or the high? And, and those sorts of 
um, you know, series, um, you know, are created for different growth scenarios. And obviously when you start, you need to have a, a good um, understanding about which one's the most appropriate to go with. So um, for a whole range of reasons, the median growth series was, you know, considered to be the most appropriate. And that's looking at things like, you know, birth rate, um, mortality rate, um, you know, overseas and internal migration, um, you know, all those sorts of things influence um, how those um, projections then, you know, are, you know, carried out um, and the numbers that you get. So, um, yeah, so that gives it a, a base for, for really where, um, you know, where you're starting. So that's at a, at a regional level. Then within the region, you can, you know, break things down to a, a much um greater level of detail depending on you know what kind of demographic information you're looking at but when you're looking at populations you generally start looking down to the SA2 level so you can start you know seeing how things like um, you know a land availability for growth you know mm. affects your population projections you know those sorts of things get fed into forward projections at that more granular level so you can start to see where areas like the southeast uh, sorry the southwest growth corridor through Ripley and Flagstone, there's a lot of land that's yet to be developed out there. So over time, the population that's going to move into that area will affect the population projection that, you know, is, is shown for those local areas. Whereas you find some of the areas which are becoming more constrained for, for, for land in terms of um, expansion, their population, that's one of the things that comes into to play when those population projections are, um, you know, calculated. Yeah, fascinating. Um, and, you know, predicting things like COVID and, and these sorts of situations we've got currently, you know, it, it's impossible, isn't it? it you know, these, yeah. these are projections based on kind of historic trends, I guess, and, and well, also kind right. of... Yeah, and that's one of the big interest, you know, one of the interesting things about COVID and, and looking at some of the, um, the regional internal migration estimates that have come out of the ABS, um, just as a, you know, uh, provisional, um, release. It's looking at, you know, Queensland is definitely gaining from interstate migration while you know, many of the other states are experiencing a, a net loss. And that's, you know, potentially as a result of COVID. So we're actually seeing that there's a, a greater number of people moving to Queensland. Um, you know, due to, um, you know, we can only estimate because that's probably the biggest game changer in terms of what has been the disruptor as to why the pattern has changed um, over, you know, the last, you know, last 12 months. The other interesting thing is, you know, for one of the first times ever, you've actually seen more um, people moving from cities to regions. You know, yeah. normally, you know, over the last um, last while, it's been the opposite trend. How long that trend lasts and, and whether it is a lasting trend, you know, we're yet to find out. But it is interesting when you see things like COVID um, come along and hopefully we don't see too many things like this in our lifetime, that it does have an influence as to where people are choosing to live and they're making those choices um, by, by moving to where they feel they may have a better employment, a better lifestyle, where they feel they have now a greater employment opportunity, which, you know, may not have existed before. And those sorts of decisions are now starting to play out in the numbers that we're seeing. Yeah, and I guess that, that feeds into kind of this this next question that I was sort of going to pose to you around why people are attracted to southeast Queensland. You know, you sort of did mention um, that southeast Queensland is a rapidly growing region, you know, and and working out, Sort of how to how to um, accommodate that many people within that time frame was a key kind of 
need an objective for this latest round of shaping SEQ? You know, what sets SEQ apart from the regions, do you think? Well, I think um, when you're looking at a region like southeast Queensland at a comparatively nationally, it's uh, very well placed in terms of um, you know, a combination of lifestyle and employment. So people move for jobs, but they stay for lifestyle. So yeah. no matter how you know beautiful the beaches are and clean the areas and all those sorts of things, most people at the end of the day who are making these decisions need employment. So I think there's that combination of being able to enjoy that, um, you know, aspect. Um, housing affordability um, is definitely a, a thing that comes into play, particularly when you're seeing people moving from, you know, places like Sydney and Melbourne, um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the ability to buy something um, that, is, that is larger, that, you know, close to the city, um, you know, those sorts of, you know, for less than what they would have been um, spending in those southern states. That's definitely been a, a draw card over the years. But once again, you know, the employment base and the livability aspect of Southeast Queensland needs to be there as well. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, you sort of bring those sorts of things into, you know, put them together. It's never really one answer that is yeah. the thing that's the, you know, this is the reason why people move. Um, mm. But... Um, I think also a lot of, um, you know, older people will move to southeast Queensland to retire to the beach and, and often families are draw a card for then people to, to move to southeast Queensland because, you know, their, their parents have retired here or, you know, those sorts of things. Um, as the, um, you know, the um, economy of southeast Queensland has also grown and matured, I think that jobs that tradi traditionally would have only been offered in Sydney or Melbourne you know, are now being offered in Brisbane as well. So you'll find that those sorts of, um, you know, employment opportunities will draw people to, to Brisbane and when they see what else they can get in combination with that job, um, I think that's, you know, often the, um, you know, the clincher for them when that comes to making those decisions. Yeah, totally. And, and even that sort of this new ability to work from home a lot easier, you know, COVID sort of one of the benefits, I guess, has been that people can work remotely. You know, and I've got a colleague who was recently employed by a Melbourne council and, and is still sort of residing, you know, up here until, you know, they can make the move down south, but it's quite convenient. You know, you sort of can almost tap into um, a, a broader job market and still reside in kind of the best place in Australia. <laughs> Well, you know, and of course, you know, you know, we all can understand why people would move here because, you know, we live here and we think it's great. But that's, I think that's exactly right. You have to think about, um, you know, COVID as being such a, you know, and it's one of the things that people are starting to, you know, research more and investigate in terms of cities and what does this mean for the future of our cities? What does it mean for the future of our CBDs? Um, you know, massive, you know, I was even reading something the other day about, you know, transport infrastructure investment. Does COVID now affect the way that we look at some of those transport projects in yeah. terms of how people are moving around cities and what the you know the, the need is for those sorts of um, you know infrastructure um, you know to be able to move mass numbers which we've mm. always predicted on you know into the city and out of the city is that really something that you know is going to continue if this trend that we're starting to see it might be just a, a, a blip. Um, you know, like all trends, you need sort of more than one year of data to be able to to be able to make any decisions on it. But it certainly 
is looking a little bit interesting. So I think that's going to be um, something that planners and economists and, um, you know, you know, social planners are going to be looking at a lot more over the, the coming years is really how does this affect the way that, um, you know, people move and live in cities? Because as you said, that ability to, to work um, somewhere other than where you live is something that's, um, I think we've always, as planners, talked a lot about, you know, um, you know working from home and, and this great, you know, telecommuting was always going to be something. I think even when I started planning many, many years ago, it was going to be the big disruptor for the way cities moved and, you know, changed and, <laughs> and we're finally starting to see that. So, yeah. you know, I think that's an opportunity that we can see for somewhere like South East Queensland as well, where some of those sorts of jobs, like you said, were, you know, even, you know, locationally specific. You generally would have always thought if you work for a city council um, in Melbourne, you've got to live there, but, you know, not necessarily so as they're showing. So, of course, it's not the same for every job. There's plenty of jobs where you, you can't do that. So Yes, totally. My husband's a builder and I can't imagine him building yes. something over in Perth, for example, from here. <laughs> and that's exactly right. For all of these sorts of things we talk about, you know, there's plenty of people that, you know, these sorts of things aren't an option. And that's the other aspect to, yeah. um, you know, to our cities and society is that, you know, it's, you know, you've got to think about how the whole of the, the system works. Yeah, totally. Well, you mentioned there some opportunities. I, I was wondering what your sort of two or three sort of biggest opportunities that you see for us over the next 20 years as a region, like what should we really embrace, do you think? Oh, look, I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not think about the Olympics. Um, you know, totally. It, you know, it, it is. You know, and we've already seen plenty of um, media coverage on this, and um, you know the opportunity for the Olympics to transform Southeast Queensland in a good way. You know, and I think, like all um, you know, big projects like this, there's always a, a double-edged sword. It could either be really great, or it could you know not be as not be great, depending on how those future investment um, opportunities are looked at. And, you know, obviously one of the big, um, you know, draw cards for Brisbane was around legacy and, um, you know, the sorts of items that were already being contemplated by both the state government as well as the local councils in terms of being able to deliver on some great lifestyle and sporting precincts and transport projects which were needed to support the growing population anyway. Um, you know, the, the Olympics, I think, just gives us uh, a lot more focus as to, you know, delivering those and some really great placemaking opportunities. And I think that's something that always has to be brought back into this is those, you know, great places that, you know, that we want to be able to create um, for the long term. So not just for the Olympics, obviously, some of these facilities will have a very use um, specific time frame. You know, they'll be there, they'll be used for the couple of weeks, but it's also, you know, how do they then contribute positively to the region um, and, you know, over a much longer longer time frame and, and the population that's growing and is always looking for, you know, opportunities for, for recreation, for culture um, yeah. and, um, you know, to get out into, um, you know, some of the, the beautiful places around Brisbane. It's not just a, a Brisbane focus either. So I think that's definitely an opportunity Um that we'll all be exploring. And there's lots of fantastic minds involved in that, which is wonderful um, to see. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, is probably one of the, the biggest opportunities. But I think, you know, as I've said before, the lifestyle, you know, we have to, you know, definitely recognise we've got a fantastic lifestyle in southeast Queensland. It's not just about beaches. I think 
one thing COVID has also been able to, um, you know, give people the opportunity is to explore their own backyard a lot more. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more people out camping. I was listening to someone from a camping association talk the other day, basically saying they've never seen an uplift like this. And, uh, you know, <laughs> wow. people wanting to go out camping. And it's, you know, going Damn, that's not good for us because we are avid campers. Avid we don't campers. want too many people. <laughs> anyone who's tried to book a campsite in Brisbane in, you know, or southeast Queensland in, in the last you know, year will certainly be able to to put their hand up and say, yeah, it's hard to get one. And yeah. and likewise, we my family loves camping too. But it's um, you know, to go out into scenic rim or you go to Somerset or you can go to some beautiful, you know, Stanthorpe play. You know, the islands, the Bay Islands are amazing. Um, you know, people who are not who would traditionally would have gone either overseas or interstate. You know, we've certainly been exploring our own region more, which I think is wonderful from an economic point of view, from a tourism point of view, um, but also just a, um, you know, a social perspective as well to feel much more connected to where you live. And I think yeah. that's always been, um, you know, something that, you know, we as planners know that, you know, having that connection to where you live and that sort of feeling of belonging is such a, you know, important part of, uh, you know, good mental health. And I think that those sorts of things within southeast Queensland, we've really got some great opportunities for that. So, um, mm. so they're probably some of the big opportunities I see. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, and we're so lucky, aren't we, as you say? I mean, I guess on the flip side, it's how do we ensure that the growth doesn't kind of, mm. you know, impact any of that great lifestyle and, and amenity that we, yeah. we so love and that we're so drawn yeah. to. So, I mean, yeah. that, that kind of leads into, you know, We've, we've talked about the opportunities, but what are some of the two or three biggest challenges do you think we're going to face as a region? Well, I think you've, you know, nailed um, one of them on the head that, you know, we don't want to kill what we love. You know, yeah. there's, you know, so much we do love about, about our lifestyle. And that was certainly something that came through very strongly with consultation we did um, across, um, you know, the whole of the region when we were out talking to to people who live within South East, South East Queensland, we were doing the plan. Everyone was saying, we love it. We don't want it to ruin, don't want to ruin it. And it wasn't necessarily about, we don't, we don't, you know, we want to stop growth or we, you know, we now live here and we don't want anyone else to come and live here as well. It, it wasn't that kind of tone, but it was very much a don't forget why we all moved here and what we love about it. So I think mm. that's certainly something we need to keep in mind. And, you know, obviously as the region's going to grow, you know, looking at, um, you know, a much larger population over the next 25 years. And, and whether we get to 5.3 million in 2041 or whether we get there in 2038 or 2050, it, it's really, you know, neither here nor there when it comes to, but event, you know, we are going to grow to that and we will continue to grow. So I think always ensuring that, you know, the, the values of the community, um, you know, are, you know, front of mind when we start doing these sorts of, long-term plans is really important yeah um, totally along with that and you know i think is things like you know infrastructure um i've been going to some um fantastic sessions set up um by the suburban alliance um recently around um you know with with mayors from and um planners from some of the um local government areas within the, the region and talking about um you know, challenges for, for them in terms of growth and, and population and, and infrastructure, I think, is has been the number one thing always mentioned. And, and that's no surprise for anyone who works in this space. So keeping up with the infrastructure demands, um, but not just keeping up, but predicting and, 
and trying to deliver them, you know, as as well as we can, um, mm. you know, to, to meet to meet that population growth. I think that's always a, a big a big challenge, and it's always been um, a challenge, not just for Southeast Queensland, but I think for anywhere um, that is experiencing rapid population growth. So that's yeah. definitely another challenge. And you know, and, and planners, you know, are great at making plans, and you know, we're great at, you know talking about how everything needs to work together. But at the end of the day, often the planners don't hold the purse strings to, you know, yep. to be able to fund these sorts of things. So I think that's, you know, where some of the challenges lie. And that's where dissatisfaction comes, I think, from the community when it comes to growth. Um, but, um, you know, and, and that's, you know, another challenge that, um, you know, we're hearing from a lot of people is around housing affordability and, you know, and access. You know, can they, first of all, find a property to buy and secondly can they actually afford it and once they purchased it can they afford to you know what's the cost of living to stay there um one of the things we did look at in the regional plan was more around um you know sustainable um living in terms of how much it's going to cost from a um you know uh, an energy perspective a transport perspective it's all well and good to just you know buy a, a cheaper house in a in an area that um, you know is further out, but you know, being mindful that over the the lifetime of living there, you will spend more money on, you know, on transport. You know, you might need a second car. Whereas, so all those sorts of you know cost decisions, and not just the initial outlay, it's that ongoing cost as well. But for most people, the challenge is actually just the initial you know getting into the property market. So. I think there's probably some of the biggest challenges that we're grappling with and and will continue to. Yeah, and especially at the moment, I think, um, you know, it just seems that this this upswing of the property market has just continued and just keeps keeps going and going. You know, I think a few years ago, I was sort of thinking, oh, at some point, it's going to start to sort of ease off a bit and, that, you know, we might sort of have a market correction, but it just seems that um, it's just continuing that that demand for all types of product, you know, both sort of detached dwellings, but also units. I mean, I was reading an article in the paper for the Gold Coast today that we're at an all time low in terms of the amount of units that are available. I think the last time we had this kind of supply, which is only around 600 units on the market, was sort of seven, eight years ago, you know, so it's it's yeah. been such a time of growth and we're building so many, you know, it seems like there's sort of a lot of um cranes in the sky as the mayor would say um yeah and 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 some record times in terms of you know stages selling out you know both from a you know an apartment as well as a a land and and house package point of view as well that you know developers are saying that you know they're bringing forward you know selling stages that they thought they'd be selling in a couple of years time They're, they're bringing trying to bring them to market now but there's a limit to how many lots you can ever deliver or how many mm. units you can build in a year no matter you know how good you are because at the end of the day you also still need to be able to have the you know the skills um available and be able to find those people to build them um but also the you know the materials and i know that you know that's something that's been yeah um talked a lot about lately as well as this delay in some of these projects because people are have signed contracts to get houses um built under you know, the stimulus package and, and now they're waiting because, you know, they can't get things like, you know, house frames and things like that. So, um, you know, like all things, you know, I think there's always going to be hot spots. And then, you know, like I said before, when it comes to, to data and trends, you know, one year certainly doesn't make a trend, but it's certainly something that a lot of people are feeling that pain right now. And mm-hmm. I think it's off the back of 
a you know a, a steady growth. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. That's that's so good, and um, oh, that's just been a great conversation, Kerry. I've I've really sort of there's been a number of sort of cogs in my brain ticking and, and little bits and pieces joining together that just says, you know, um, we've got such an opportunity ahead of us. I think you've underscored the Olympics um, and it's about ensuring the investment in the region serves that future population because we have such a job ahead of us if, in providing the right infrastructure. Um, that's that's sort of now critical more than ever um, because of that sort of yeah rapid growth but also that investment in the region that's to come. But that's all we have time for. I'm I'm sorry to to cut it there, but um, I think thanks so much for your time and your knowledge on on such an important topic. I've I've certainly taken a lot from it, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Um, so thank you. But and also I'd like to say thank you to everyone for tuning in every week to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. I've been uh, really appreciating all of your support and all of your comments. it's been spurring me on to keep making these episodes and having great conversations uh, with people like Kerry. Um, if you'd like to follow along, I have an Instagram handle. It's hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast um, where you can provide all your feedback there. I'd really love to hear from you. But that's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.